Welcome to A Vague Knowledge of Everything. This is episode 12, uh, and it's our second edition of History Class with Captain Ryan. Uh, so we'll introduce ourselves, and then we have some comments to start with. Um, as always, I am Rosie. And Hope. <laughs> I'm Captain Ryan. <laughs> Yay! Hey. This is our first returning guest. I love yeah. having a recurring segment. It makes me feel like a really legit podcast. <laughs> it does make it feel like a really legit podcast. Yeah. I like having yeah. a recurring segment and be like, like later on when we can like talk about like uh talk about various guests we've had come on talk about things you know and be like oh yes and everyone remembers like no it wasn't that time it was the other time because we've had so many history classes but um but yeah uh so so yeah today we're, we're excited to have a guest on that we've had before because we had so much fun last time um but of course the stuff we're talking about now is really difficult um we we did take we took a week since the events at the capitol uh to to talk about things um some of you who are listening will know that our last episode was about corsets uh which was like kind of a weird thing to throw in there but we wanted to to wait and address these events until we could get uh ryan on because he's really good at putting things in historical context um so today we will be talking about uh, the insurrection at the Capitol um, on January 6th. And and just before we talk about it uh, as, before we put it in historical context and talk about some similarities between that and uh, the Weimar Republic, what we're gonna do is each kind of take it by turns and talk about uh, some issues that we see coming up and our feelings about stuff because this is a topic we all have a lot of feelings about and that's normal. Uh, so, so I'll start off and, uh, and kind of like the whole having feelings is normal is basically the, the thread uh, that I've been thinking about because uh, as I was sharing in a little more detail before uh, with Hope and Ryan, uh, I've been a part of some conversations uh, recently that have been kind of uh, worrying because I think that people are looking at the this insurrection that happened where where five people ended up dead. Uh, they're looking at it as a political issue and not as just an issue that is going to affect all of us, uh, which it does because it happened at our Capitol. It was violence directed at our Congress um, and it was an attempt to stop uh, the the counting of votes in an election that was legitimate, um, where the incumbent lost. So there, it, it really was a big issue. And to say, oh, I don't want to talk about politics and then use that as a reason to brush it off uh, is very problematic because A, it's it really transcends politics. It's much more than that uh, at this point because this is a shared memory that we're all going to have some sort of um, I don't know if trauma is the right word, but we're all going to have some sort of uh, sort of visceral reaction that we're bringing with us um, into the rest of our lives. So it's something that's going to change the way we look at the world. And I think that it's very important we talk about the effects it's having as it's happening instead of going back to kind of parse through and say, how did that affect me and the rest of my life and maybe my children, et cetera, you know? So if you are part of a conversation and people are trying to tell you like 
like, oh, don't talk about politics. Um, remind them how privileged a stance that is, uh, because not everyone can just decide to ignore politics. Um, and also remind them this is something that affects all of us. This this was not directed just at Democrats. This was not directed just at um, as certain members of certain parties. This was something these people were coming for Republicans too. Um, this is a small faction. They do not represent all of conservatives in America, or I mean, I hope most of conservatives, I don't, I don't know, but I don't think that they're representative of a large group. And if we don't sort of address that and say, say, wait, wait, this isn't all of America, then we're doing a disservice because you never know what history is going to remember. And if we put more things down that uh, that stay after we're gone, then, then hopefully those things will be remembered too. So talk about your feelings, work through them, and yeah, and don't let people shut you down because it is important to talk about this. So that's what I have to say. Hope you wanna go next. Um. Yeah, so I started a new job where I'm a receptionist at an animal hospital. Um, perks I found is uh, scrubs are just professional pajamas, and I never want to work in another job where I'm not wearing scrubs ever again. <laughs> um, but so I don't have my phone on me, and um, but I have my Apple Watch, and that day my watch was just going off all day long, so much so that I was like, I need to go to the bathroom. And I stuck my phone in just to see what was going on because my mom had texted us like, I feel like I did on 9-11. Like, I love you guys, like saying all this stuff. And I was like, what is going on? So I kind of found out about it after everything was already kind of over because I got done with work around like 6 or 6.30. So by the time I had reached it, it had already happened. And then I think it was on its way to being done. Um, I've been thinking about how in social work, they're teaching us that it's really important with politics to be reaching across the aisle and trying to find common ground between people on opposing sides. And I appreciate that 10 Republicans voted to impeach Trump for the second time. But there's even when Trump's gone, like there's not a whole lot we're going to be able to do in terms of everything that he's incited thus mm -hmm. far. And I don't know if there's going to be a whole lot of reaching across the aisle people, a whole lot of reaching across the aisle um, for people who didn't vote for that. It's, it's really, it's so mm -hmm. divided. And the fact that it wasn't a clear cut vote is just like extremely upsetting. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I had hoped more Republicans would get on board with that, but it shouldn't be surprising. Yeah. But you, Ryan? Yeah. Uh, I had a lot of feelings. Um, <laughs> I had um, my phone was blowing up too. I was working at home on the car and like just kind of like trying to turn a wrench and didn't have my phone on me. And like then just, boy, it just started beeping a lot. And, um, yeah, so I, I did know that the – my first reaction was um, like kind of dismay, but then – but but it – it that wasn't coupled with surprise. Yeah. It, 
if that makes sense. I, I like I knew that that was I knew that there was a, a large demonstration. I knew why the demonstration was going to be held. People had been talking about it for a long time. Um, so I was very unsurprised by the fact that it took a really ugly turn. And yeah, so I, I wasn't I wasn't surprised. Um, I felt I will admit I don't know how many people are going to admit this, but I will admit uh, <laughs> it's hard to admit. I will admit a certain amount of jealousy um, because, like for instance, um, yeah. lately uh, the right has been claiming that oh, these are Antifa actors and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if you've seen some of that, but there's been yeah. Some- denial that it was people that it was Trump supporters at all. And it was actually Antifa and the jealousy I felt was, boy, I wish we had our shit together like that. (laughs) And Antifa Uh, doesn't like, there's no way one of the the whole thing about Antifa. It's like, it's just being against fascism. And like, I know there are organized groups as well, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I think part of the point of it was like, no, it's not a group. It's a movement. And that's maybe Mm -hmm. why we don't have it together. But but yeah, no, I understand that. Um, I'd, I'd also say that like the, per, the the reason we demonstrate, the reason we take to the streets, the reason we make our voices heard is to enact uh, popular change and, and, you know, by making our voices heard. They certainly did that. Um, mm-hmm. However, uh, I am opposed to violence and, personally and politically. And I, mm-hmm. and I, the, that was not what we saw. That was certainly a violent act and, and many individual small violent acts. Um, so whereas I'm speaking as a leftist, like where, I, whereas I'd like to see the left seize power, I, it further dedicated me to nonviolence watching what happened. Um, so it was nice to like yeah. further dedicate myself to that, you know, just, personally but um i felt a lot of anger i was very angry once again with the lack of surprise but very angry and i will admit some fear as well um because of what we're going to get into soon but uh yeah it was really quite a day i don't think i've ever been on my phone that much in one day um i feel bad for my partner because i was just scrolling all day you know was pretty bad. The doom yeah, scroll. And, yeah, we had, yeah. Well, and then I stayed. Yeah, you know, I stayed up till I, I stayed up to finish the vote, um, which may have been a bad idea. But yeah, it, it was a long night. Yeah. Yeah, we had the, uh, the. I think we had the news on for just the whole day and into the night. Yeah, Chris stayed up later than I do because I get up really early, but. Yeah, we were both, I think we were just both afraid that the count wouldn't happen and something else would go off. Yeah. I, did you guys see that tweet that was talking about how it was a matter of seconds that the Senate was protected? So that one black police officer who like stood up against the entire crowd and you see the video of him like inciting them to follow him. And he looks to his the one way, and that's where the Senate is. And he like shoves the and one. He led them away. And he led them the other way. And they said Senate sealed at like two fifteen, and that happened at two fourteen. And I saw that, and I was like, "That is 
insane. That is too close. Give that guy a medal. Yeah. 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 Or, or I don't know, maybe a raise, you know. Yeah. But there's also Eugene Goodman. Yes. Eugene Goodman. He is Sorry, a good I, just, I, to look it up. I saw a thing on him today. There, there's <laughs> That's a, a great um, last name. There's also there's a weird dichotomy going on too. I feel like as far as feelings go, when and and this um this is one of the things that makes me like that where where liberals like make me chuckle, um <laughs> where you know uh for instance remember when uh like Comey was fired from the FBI for not mm-hmm. swearing you know loyalty to Donald Trump. Um, as soon as that happened, liberals were falling over themselves to be like, what a, what a great guy. What a, what a, what a great organization that the FBI is dedicated to truth and honor. And it's like, are you talking about the same organization that tried to catch Martin Luther King Jr. in a hooker sting? Like, are you, are we talking about the same organization? And liberals really crack me up when they are now falling over themselves to defend police uh all of a sudden yeah, it's you know like it's like a, switch, like a code switch man and i i don't understand it and um it makes me chuckle i don't like to see like a policeman beaten to death with a fire extinguisher like we saw at the capitol i don't like to see police you know getting crushed by a throng of people i don't like to see that i don't like to see violence i don't like any of that mm-hmm. um but it is strange that the uh the bastion of like blue lives matter and um defending police were the same forces that killed a police officer and uh called black police officers the n-word constantly i don't know if you saw any of those reports i um, didn't yeah, yeah so there was a a lot of a lot of racism going on there directed at black capital police and like so it, it's very strange that they can switch switch sides so easy and liberals can do the same thing yeah. go from defund the police to um capital police are the only thing standing between us and a fascist dictatorship it's like yeah i don't, it's not I don't know where either. you guys are coming from yeah. yeah it's it's very so that part's very strange to me i don't i don't really get that but yeah. that's just another one of these, you know, swirling yeah. feelings that you get from this whole thing, you know. Yeah, I'm. I'm also just. I'm. I'm. I'm nervous about like what's ha- going to happen at state capitals and like I, I, I'm especially being like in a, a swing state. I guess I, I I'm wondering if anything is going to happen in Pennsylvania like any I know we had like a tiny little thing in in town we had like a peaceful protest of the counting of the votes but but yeah like I'm I'm interested to see how it all plays out and I'm really hoping that it's not more violence but I'm definitely prepared for that possibility and and yeah like you say it was unfortunately not surprising I'm having a hard time with the Pence stuff a little bit because he changed his, I hate that this is where we have to look for things and it's like a credible thing. He changed his cover photo on his Twitter feed to Biden and Harris. And he's just completely like turned his back. I know. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) And he like, that seems like a big swing for Pence. Like, you know, 
Because like, so obviously disingenuous. I know. And I like the gullible parts of me really wants to be on board with it. I'm like, all right, we got pens. And it's like, mm, probably not. Because I don't trust anybody now. There's nothing well, to like. And the best demonstration Pence could have made that he is like against what he's been a part of and wants to, you know, get on a better road, whatever that is. Like, I don't know how you can kind of redeem yourself after you like openly believe in conversion therapy for gay people, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Like if he was going to try to do that, I think that he uh, should have, uh, he uh, invoked the 25th amendment. Is that the right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah so, so I think really that was the only way to prove it to the left. But yeah, his, uh, according to the kind of weird and serpentine ways the 25th works, he would have to, inst he would have to begin the process. So he would yeah. have to convene a meeting of the cabinet. And so it starts and ends with him. This moment for Mike Pence is a moment where he's got to decide if he's going to have a political future or not. Yeah. Um, and what that looks like going forward. So uh, he can't really, no one can win. Okay. Trump <laughs> is funny because he, this is a guy who won with a pretty small minority of the country. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And Pence is having to decide, do I claim that small minority? Because as hardcore as they are, does that even get me elected? Because it's just not that many people. And he has obviously chosen not to go after them because they now like they built a gallows for him in front yeah. of the Capitol. So I think he's lost their support. So now he's shooting for the neo, the, you know, the neocons and the neoliberals, which is the great the great center. And yeah. I don't know if he's going to find enough support there either, uh, given, like Rosie said, the the last yeah. four years. Uh, so, and his years, frankly, as governor of Indiana. Um, yeah. so I don't know, I don't know that he's going to be able to, to salvage, uh, anything here. Um, other yeah. than maybe. And I, I'm a, actually a wondering, I, I'm wondering if he's eventually going to get like thrown under the bus for like by Republicans and that like, cause I can kind of see Republicans like if more blame is put on them, you know, and continues to be put on them for things that they did mm -hmm. help, uh, you know, like, you know, the, like measures they help put through, et cetera, that kind of stuff that like, I, I kind of wonder if they're going to say, well, Pence was really the guy who was pulling the strings behind Trump, you know, and kind of like, like, I wonder if they're going to mm -hmm. try to throw Pence under the bus mm -hmm. to save themselves um, and act like, you know, he had more pull with the president than any of them or something. But that's an interesting, interesting take. It's it's hard yeah. to cast off um, all of the, the it's hard to cast off the impression a lot of people have of them when, they, when you uh, do you remember that cabinet meeting? Um, it was on the news for a while. This is a couple of years ago. There's a cabinet meeting and cabinet ministers spoke. And then uh, it was it was uh, uh, Mike Pence's turn. And it was just basically everybody just being fawning sycophants to the president and and uh you know pence said like well i just want to personally thank you for your courage and direction mr president for your taking this. and it was just like yeah. man uh this is like uncomfortable and disgusting and almost yeah. sexual and like it, yeah it was um it was a, uh, so I, I don't i don't know if you can i don't know if he's going to be able to to shake 
you know, I think, I think a lot of his advisors are like, well, if you, uh, you know, just don't, if you just go to the Senate and you just certify the election, then it's going to cement your image as someone who doesn't just take orders. And I'm like, that's That's going to be a hard sell. And he wasn't even supposed to be in the country to certify the votes. He was supposed to be in Europe. Uh, and, really? he, and he changed his plans last minute to uh, it. There is nothing in the constitution that says that he has to be there to certify the electoral votes. It is a ceremonial post. Uh, many, many, most vice presidents have not been there for that moment. Um, I think it was probably a pretty good idea to not be around. He could have just been like, Hey, I was out of the country. Yeah. I don't have one thing to do with it one way or the other, but yeah, uh, that would have been so much better for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. I'd love to like in years later, we'll f- find out all these communications, you know, like oh, nobody's, that, nobody's, nobody's good at keeping a secret. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, it'll come out at some point how that decision-making happened, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, um, well, okay. So for this, for the sake of posterity, um, mm. you know, assuming people maybe are going to come back and listen to this in you know later times and might need a refresher, um, the let's. Okay. So on January sixth, there was the insurrection at the Capitol. We've we've talked about different different aspects of it, but the the long and the short of it is that like right wing extremists rushed the. Capitol Police and uh, stormed the Capitol with not a lot of pushback from some of the police, yeah. um, but some, but some, but some were heroes, like legit, like Hope was talking about, um, Eugene Goodman. Um, the like ultimately, none of the Congress people were harmed. They were able to go back and uh, carry out the vote later on, uh, but there, there were five deaths that I know of. Um, one of them was a police officer and, uh, and the other ones were uh, various insurrectionists. And uh, it was a really bad thing to happen. And as of now, it is January 14th when we're recording it and we're all still sort of reeling from it. So, so yeah. And um, yes, uh, so Ryan's drawn some parallels uh, from what's happening in our country now uh, to a period of time in German history, uh, which we thought was worth exploring. So yeah, take it away, Ryan. Cool. Yeah. I also wanted to like, I, I took some notes. I was just like wanting to familiarize myself with, uh, the law. So the law is funny in that, um, it's been said that like the law is a, Uh, It's not always about uh, justice. It's also about the preservation of the state. And that is very true um, often. Um, And so we have some laws on the books. A lot of people have been talking about like, this is another thing that makes me um, kind of my head spin about liberals and even some leftists who are saying like, well, let's put these guys away. You know, let's really go to town and start trying these people who broke into the Capitol. And I'm like, you, this is coming from a political side that generally looks a little askance and is a little like, 
not ready to invoke the law all the time. You know, like, <laughs> like I was saying with police officers and, and uh, defund the police versus Blue Lives Matter, et cetera, et cetera. It's weird to me that leftists are like, yeah, let's get the law involved. Let's pass some more laws. Let's put these people in prison. I'm like, this is coming from the same people who want to dismantle the prison industrial complex. And so I'm, I'm very confused where some people come from. But there are a couple of pertinent laws. Um, these have been like, I've seen these online a lot. Uh, and I, the, like the best decision I ever made in my life was not having a Twitter, but um, I see a lot of this stuff online. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll look into that and see what these people are saying. They sound like good arguments on the face, but let's get into it a little bit. Um, 18 US code um, 2383 has an insurrection and rebellion uh, punishment that involves 10 years and a fine. Um, it pretty easily defines insurrection as inciting or setting foot upon uh, or comforting uh, the insurrection or uh, interfering with a government agency to to conduct its business. Um, I think that's a that's a slam dunk for a prosecutor. Um, the other one is the next law, which is 18 U.S. Code 2384, which is a, a seditious conspiracy, which carries 20 years in a fine as well. Um, an enterprising lawyer or prosecutor could easily um, get an indictment in my mind for uh, Trump. Uh, for the sp- One thing about the invasion of the Capitol for posterity, like you're saying, is Trump made a speech in which he said, we need to march on the Capitol. And then they did. So that's like an essential yeah. piece there. That was a... Oh my God, I totally left Trump out of it. Yeah, <laughs> which, I mean, I... I wish we could do that, but how did I manage to do that? Yeah. It's a huge puzzle piece. Sorry, we're all so emotionally exhausted that we're like, yeah, oh, totally. the capital, and we all know what we're talking about. Totally. <laughs> Sorry, go so, on. So there's there, there's that part of that timeline too, which I think is really essential to note. Um, there was a act passed in 1918, uh, right when we were getting ready to go during World War One, and near the end of it, um, we didn't get into World War One until 1917. Uh, in 1917, they passed the Espionage Act, um, which is uh, one of the most roundly disputed and hated pieces of U.S. law in our country's history. Um, it completely subverted the First Amendment. It put uh, Eugene Debs, the socialist candidate for president, it put him in federal prison from which he ran for president, from a federal wow. prison. Wow. Um, and wow. he received and he received more votes than any third party candidate in the history of the United States from prison. (laughs) Um, So that's important. Um, Part of that was the sedition act. It was like the first piece of the espionage act. Uh, Sedition act uh, was repealed in 1921. So it's no longer a piece of law, but we were just throwing newspaper men and like people, if you were on the street and passed out a pamphlet that says like this war is unjust, um, we shouldn't go to war with Germany. You were thrown in prison under the insurrection act and you were like, you're in federal prison. That's it. Um, so that is such a like egregious violation of the first amendment that we have gotten rid of the sedition act, but we haven't gotten rid of the espionage act, which Edward Snowden was tried is, is indicted under. So that bad law from 1917 is still around. Um, Anyway, there's a lot of the, bad laws still around. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that's why I'm, I'm like, I'm cautious for my friends on the left who are saying like, uh, you know, we should try them, and I'm like, 
Mm. Remember, the law that you want to try them under put your candidate, Eugene Debs, in prison. <laughs> you know, like we can't, it's yeah. a law that's been used to put it goes leftists, both ways. Yeah, it's it's a law that's been used to put leftists in prison for a hundred years, and it's it's not it's not good. Um, okay, so in and that's where I want to like get into Germany here, and I also want to like understandable for some of your listeners if they're really tired of hearing about uh 1920s and 30s germany comparisons being drawn since the trump uh era yeah and like i get that fatigue like i get it um and you know like i remember being a historian when we were invading afghanistan and i was freaking out uh you know 20 years ago jesus christ uh <laughs> and i was like oh a lot of historians were freaking out then because uh, there isn't really a good historic example of a invading army in Afghanistan being successful. Like the British army twi- tried it twice, didn't go so hot. The Soviets tried it. They were the biggest army in the history of the world in the 1980s. That didn't go well. And uh, I think the last army to invade Afghanistan successfully was uh, Alexander. And like the United States is hardly Alexander the Great. Um, So we were freaking out then. And like, uh, I remember Don Rumsfeld, the secretary of defense back then saying like, you know, (laughs) I'm really tired of hearing Vietnam comparisons. And that's true. Historians were saying it all the time, but then it ended up kind of being true. And that's kind of what's going on now is a lot of historians and a lot of like, yeah, you know, just people on Twitter have been making like a lot of comparisons to 1920s and 30s Germany. And I get how people are tired of that, but that doesn't quite make it untrue. Yeah. And I've said it before, but now it's kind of becoming more true. And the reason it's becoming more true is not so much like the big events like and then this happens and then hitler comes to power it's more it's just that it's the it's the small gradual glacial movements of the body politic that really frighten me um yeah and the attitudes about what you have to do to compromise and appease certain certain factions i think maybe fed into that as well right. from my understanding and and really my biggest thing is is once again going back to the law is how we invoke the law and so like germany um in like the late so germany was like a pretty new country um germany only became a country in the 1870s Uh, so they were they were like little states uh called duchies and they had like a little king. So there's like Prussia, there's like Westphalia, there's like all these different, you know, kingdoms and they have their own little prince or king running it. And then uh, the strongest of those, of course, was Prussia. We think about Prussia as being like a military state. They were, they're like the Sparta of Europe. They're just like super into wearing spike helmets and mustaches and like marching around. Right. That's like what they do. Yeah. Um, so the king of Prussia was able to unify Germany um, using a uh his his like main guy his diplomat uh a guy named otto von bismarck who is probably like the uh one of the greatest politicians in the history of europe right and so they used war they used alliances they used all these different things to get germany as one unified country um and it's basically founded as an empire and the uh family that ran prussia gets to run germany now 
um, and the first Kaiser or uh, Kaiser is the German word for Caesar. Um, so, uh, Caesar of Germany is, uh, is uh, Kaiser Wilhelm the first. Um, I've heard that and, name. I don't know a lot yeah, about right. him. Pretty, pretty, pretty like smart politician. Cause he had Bismarck telling him what to do. Right. Um, so they had just won a war against France over this little slice of territory called the Alsace-Lorraine. And uh, it's kind of like mixed French and German people. But anyway, Germany kicks the crap out of France and takes it. Um, Ger- France never forgot that. Uh, for, th- there's a term in French called the, like, uh, basically it means like the great shame, the memory of the great shame, which is Germany beating them in this little war. They never forgot <laughs> it. And their entire, like un- from then until World War One, they're just like, how do we get back at the at, at Germany? Um, and that's what creates all the like crap that uh, starts before World War One. Right? It's just not, like, oh, it's not funny, but it is a little funny. That France it's is so just funny. like, fuck you and guys. France was a, France was an incredibly powerful nation back yeah. then. Yeah. You know, so and Germany was like the little guy, but now Germany's not a little guy anymore. And uh, anyway, so that's like, so you got bad feelings, and those bad feelings explode into World War One because now uh, Kaiser Wilhelm the First is no longer in charge of Germany. His idiot son is Kaiser Wilhelm the Second, who's a moron, and Bismarck is not being listened to anymore by little Willie. Okay. Um, one of the big problems too is uh, uh, all of the kings in Europe, uh, Tsar Nicholas II, who's in charge of Russia at the time, and uh, uh, the King of England and uh, Kaiser Wilhelm II, they're all first cousins. Ew. Oh, that's no good. They are all grandsons of Queen Victoria. Oh, <gasps> wow. There's a family photo of them at a wedding in 1905 and they're all standing next to each other. And I'm just like, why don't you just shoot them there? Shoot each other there yeah. at that wedding. Just shoot each other at this wedding. And then you can save 8 million lives. We talked about Queen Victoria in the last episode when we were talking about corsets. Mm. Just keep coming back to her. Wow. Yeah. Back to Queen, Vicky. Yeah. Queen Victoria had a lot of influence. <laughs> yeah. yeah she we'll probably talk about her on our next episode too. But yeah. Yep. That would be, she's, uh, yeah. She, I mean, the Victorian age is called that way for a reason. She was the most dynamic and important yeah. figure of that. And era. she ruled for a long time too. She was one of the longest ruling English monarchs. Yeah. Can I have yeah. a Can I have a comedic moment just real quick and all this heavy stuff? Please. So my mom and I will watch mostly my mom, but when I'm home, I'll watch like the PBS like masterpiece theater stuff with her. And there was one about Queen Victoria on within the last two or three years. And we're watching it. And I usually ask her history questions when we're doing it. She's like, all Queen Victoria and her husband cared about was having sex. And she didn't want any babies. But then they had a bunch of babies. So that's why there were so many kids there. But she did not want to be a mom. And all they wanted to do was, like, bone. And I was like, (laughs) thanks, mom. (laughs) Well, and also, like that's pretty unusual for that period too. Like two monarchs mm-hmm. actually being in love with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like pretty unique. And keep in mind her family was German and her husband's family was German. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? That's so why that, we have Christmas trees. Yes. Uh, like, cause you know, it went over to England because Albert brought it over and then mm-hmm. over to here. Yeah. Oh my God. I think we talked about that in the episode that right. didn't come through and get yes. recorded. Yes, we did. Oh my God. Apparently we're big into the monarchy. Yeah. Well, we'll probably do an Easter episode and put that in there because it was the Christmas episode about the pagan traditions that Christians 
Uh, it's funny. It's funny how much Americans are obsessed with monarchy, considering we fought a revolution against. <laughs> I don't know. That's just one, something I find funny. <laughs> I watch The Crown too. I get it. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah. So so now it's World War One. Everybody's killing each other. Um, after World War One, like things change forever. I think the entire world was like this monarchy shit is bullshit. Like how yeah. how come eight million people had to die for a family feud? I don't yeah, understand yeah. what's going on. And so that is the, the um, Germany was an extremely like liberal place. And I mean like classical liberal and what classical liberal is, is like they were, um, they valued science, they valued education, they valued literacy, they valued international agreements, they valued trade. All of these things were like, highly valued in Germany. Um, World War One happens. And th- even though they were a liberal, quote unquote, place like Kaiser Wilhelm and the, the, the monarchy in Germany was was pretty conservative. Um, and so once Germany loses the war fo- and you got to you got to keep in mind that near the end of the war, Germany was run by a military cabal. Uh, the generals ran the economy. They ran everything. And any wow. dissent, you know, if you like are against the war, you're, a, you're just shot, uh, you know, like leftists. Because um, Germany had a revolution in, eight, well, Europe had a revolution in 1848. So just like 60 years ago, Europe was in the throes of a socialist revolution, basically. Karl Marx is writing in the 50, 1850s and 60s. This is a, like a really big social mm-hmm. movement and the monarchy like crushes that and then gets them into world war one. And so the left have a really good argument saying like, Hey, look what the monarchy has gotten us. Everybody's dead. The rest are starving. We just lost a war. What did we get out of monarchy? F this revolution time. And so world war one ends in Germany with a communist revolution. Uh, the city of Munich basically becomes a rebel communist state. Uh, the entire German Navy revolts. They had, there's a giant mutiny, communist mutiny. Um, and so like Germany can't wow. fight the war that, anymore. That's because, super organized. Yeah. Yeah. Impressive. So Germany just can't fight the war anymore. And now think about what's going on in Russia too. In 1917, the Soviets take over Russia. So like, this is a big, um, if history is like a pendulum you have like all these like uh, super like conservative monarchist movement and then world war one it starts swinging the other way right um (laughs) and so now germany is shattered they're starving uh their country is a mess soldiers are coming home after the armistice there's no jobs there's no food there's no money and communists have taken over the Navy and the city of Munich and Germany freaks out and makes some really unfortunate bargains in the name of peace and order. Oh no. And basically they put all of these soldiers who are coming home and turn them into fascist death squads. Uh, So all of these soldiers have come home and there's this myth that starts getting permeated that, oh, you won on the battlefield. The only reason you lost the war is because these communists stabbed you in the back back home. That's not true, but it becomes a very valuable lie 
for the for conservative forces. So the soldiers are put into a paramilitary organization called the Steel Helmets, the Stahlhelm, and uh, they just basically take the leash off them and say, "Hey, go go kill us some communists." And so the Munich revolt is crushed and bloodily put down. And then you have this new government. Uh, Kaiser Wilhelm abdicates the country. He leaves the country and lives in exile. Uh, most of the generals who are responsible for the dictatorship during the last parts of the war, they flee the country too. Um, That's the best thing they could do, I guess. Right. They're probably going to get assassinated. Uh, yeah. So everybody leaves. And there's a like really weak and fractured and tenuous government put in place, which is a social democratic republic. And that is called the Weimar Republic. They are saddled from the, they are not set up to succeed. Mm -hmm. Um, Because with the armistice that was signed, the generals and the conservative forces who ran Germany refused to sign the armistice because they knew if their names were on a surrender, they would never get to claim that their myth of being stabbed in the back was true because their names are on the document of surrender. So they leave the country and make social Democrats and socialists sign the armistice. So then they can say later, look, it was the leftists who lost the war for you. Their name's on the document. But the fact is they weren't in charge at all. Just the generals and the Kaiser left. So they had to take the blame for it. That adds to this myth of the left stabbed us in the back and that's why we lost the war. Yeah. Never true. Um, okay. So now uh, the Weimar Republic is in charge. The uh, social Democrats are in charge. They're running the country. Um, they still got uh, right wing death squads in the uh, Stahlhelm, the steel helmets, these uh, veterans. There's all these veterans groups that are uh, organizing and still armed in many cases. Um, it's chaos. Also because of the armistice, uh, one of the provisions was they had to take blame for the entire war. That was like in the in the agreement, like in the armistice, it says yeah. that like Germany claims responsibility for starting this war. Like I told you, it was at least as much France's fault because they never forgot yeah. or they lost 30 years earlier. So the um, part of claiming blame for the war is they're responsible to pay all of these countries that beat them. They have to pay France. They have to pay all these, all these different countries. Well, they're already broken and starving and poor. Uh, and that brings us to the next thing that makes what's going on in this country very, very, very scary and similar. Um, mm-hmm. When there is an economic disaster, which we are suffering right now in COVID, and we have the highest percent of unemployed since the Great Depression, in some places, more than the Great Depression, Mm-hmm. When you have economic and financial collapse and the government decides on a policy of austerity, which means we deny welfare, we deny money, we don't get you a job, that frustration in 100% of the examples leads to fascism every single time. You get a bunch of poor people that don't have anywhere to go and that are angry and scared. And someone comes to you and says, I am the only one who can solve your problems. Don't think, just do what I say and I will fix it for you. That happens Mm -hmm. every single time. And there is no party more dedicated to austerity in the United States than the Democratic Party. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi just decided to fold like a house of cards on getting you money 
and the entire Democratic Party could have actually gotten you a $2,000 check, and they did not. And we're talking $2,000 is like the bare minimum to just let people yeah. not starve to and death. There have there, been countries that have been doing basically the equivalent of that for months right. now. Right. So yeah. you get, uh, there's this it's, like... It's- Go ahead. Sorry, there was there's one thing. I uh, so I I I listen to a lot of uh, podcasts at work because mm-hmm. I, I so I'm I'm a cook. Um, just for anyone who doesn't know that, um, obviously you guys know that. But uh, but right now uh, I'm working. <laughs> I um, uh, I work at uh, um, like a daycare, preschool, um, etc. A place where I cook and then like give the room stuff and I get to do everything on my own and it's great. Um, and I get to listen to podcasts all day. So I've been listening to, uh, a lot of different things today. I was listening to stuff about the Weimar Republic, but, uh, yesterday I was listening to something about, uh, Jonestown, which, uh, <laughs> which for anyone who doesn't know, Jonestown is how you get like the phrase, uh, drinking the Kool-Aid, um, which I hate to hear because it refers to, uh, I mean, Yes, it was a largest the largest mass suicide recorded, but it was also a massacre because people were murdered. Um, but the way that uh, Jim Jones got followers uh, and got people to be so hardcore on his side was basically by providing basic social services they were not getting from the government. Um, and it was like he also, I guess, targeted uh, particularly uh, older black women because they were not being taken care of. And if someone was willing to say, okay, our organization will provide all of these things if you just like turn over your paycheck and you'll get literally everything you need as opposed to, you know, having to fit to prioritize things and stuff like that. So if people, if people want to come and give you the stuff that you need to survive and that's, you know, stuff you've been struggling to get, then it will definitely create a really strong follower. Um, so that's, it's interesting. I like, it's interesting, I think to compare and say, well, this cult leader (laughs) does something that, you know, is relatable to this, but. And that makes it really simple. I mean, it is most simple. People are going to want a a roof over their head and food. Yeah. Uh, and if, if they're, (laughs) if you leave the populace in a place where they don't know where their next meal is coming from, then they don't have time to. Uh, be educated in politics. They don't have time to read newspapers. They don't have time to like find out what's going on behind the scenes politically. They're just, they just have to get fed. Yeah. And so absolutely. when you live in a society that denies you that, like, why are we, why are we surprised that in a country that's been defunding public education for 30 years, we have a generation of people who don't know anything about history? Like what, why is this surprising to us in any way, shape or form? Hello. This has been the plan. Why do you think I love these history episodes so much? (laughs) I don't know shit. (laughs) And I'll I'll be even like more conspiracy minded. Maybe that's not a great thing. And and a little more like angry about this. But uh, the party of the two parties in this country that has been voting to defund uh, education. um, What party do people who don't know history vote for more often? Republican. Yeah. So I don't think this is a, I don't think this is an accident. I don't think it's a mistake. I think it's been a long-term plan and um, they have, they have successfully created their own idiocracy over 30 years. They're, they're pulling it off. They've, they've got a whole army that can seize the government in Washington, DC based on a misunderstanding of and misreading of history because they didn't have anybody to teach them because we defunded their schools. Yeah, and the, and, and it happens in the rural areas first. Yeah, and 
and really ignorance is I think ignorance is probably much more common than blind hatred for for this these kinds of acts for people who commit these violent acts and think that they're they're being oppressed in ways that that they aren't and you know are convinced of these conspiracy theories is it's springing from ignorance the so. the um so so you have that going on in Weimar Germany in the in the, in the 20s you there's a really famous photograph in 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 Berlin uh where a woman is um heading to the grocery store to buy a loaf of bread with a wheelbarrow full of Reichmarks and inflation was so bad that you know two million Reichsmarks like bought a loaf of bread, you know. So like it's out of control, and the reason is they're paying all these war debts. Uh, and France and the United States and Britain, all of these countries that defeated Germany, are literally digging their own grave by refusing to allow Germany to heal economically from the war. We're producing a nation of angry people that we're going to have to fight again in 10 years. And it's extremely short-sighted. Actually, Woodrow Wilson, the president of the United States at the time who helped negotiate the treaty, he didn't want to do any of this to Germany, but he didn't get his way. You know why he didn't get his way? Why he didn't get his way? He wasn't at all of the meetings. You know why he wasn't at all of the meetings? Mm-mm. He had Spanish flu. Oh no! Oh so, great! Let's, so let's bring another uh, thing that uh, sounds like a present day. Yeah. <laughs> um, so his weakened state, he wasn't able to organize. My, I had a, I had this history teacher who was like, you know, you know what would have avoided World War II is if Woodrow Wilson walked into the Versailles Treaty negotiations and just said, <laughs> "All of you can go home." Everybody can go home. The United States is running everything from now on. And the European nations will be like, what are you talking about? He's like, does anybody here have a function economy or standing army anymore? Nope, because you lost all of them all in this war. Everybody's dead and your economies are a shattered mess. The United States, we've only been in this war for a year. We just started war production. We're doing great. So everybody go home and we you are no longer allowed to have an army anymore. The United States will keep a world police force and will enforce the peace. And I think my history teacher was crazy because I, yeah. that's an that's an empire <laughs> and nobody wants to be an empire. But uh, yeah, I thought that was an interesting take on history. But yeah, um, it's definitely an interesting take. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, so things are going bad in Weimar Germany, but at the same time, Weimar Germany is if you think about the art, the music, all of the things that are coming out of Germany in the 20s and 30s, it is miraculous. You think about the science that's coming out of Germany in the 20s and 30s, this is a country that is on the cusp of greatness. They have so much to look forward to. But because of the reason, because of international agreements, because of what we did to Germany at the end of World War I, they were set up to fail. They were produ- this is this is the Germany that produced Einstein. This is the Germany that produced uh, some of the greatest advances in radiology, some of the greatest advances in uh, electronics. This is a miraculous country. And we're talking about uh, like if you think about popular images of Germany, you're thinking about like the jazz scene and like the the illegal cabarets and like uh, three penny opera and Thomas Mann and all of these uh, Egon Schiele and all of these artists that are my favorite artist Egon Schiele and all these artists that are coming out of Germany. This is a like incredible moment, but they're still devastatingly poor. The government is a goddamn wreck. 
it seems like there's a new leader of government every couple of months. And every time that there is like an economic crisis or anytime there's a political crisis, there's street fighting gangs outside duking it out with each other. And it's the communists and the steel helmets or eventually the Nazis, which Nazis stand for National Socialist German Workers Party. And this is a tiny little party that really didn't have a defining ethos. Um, nobody really knew who they were about. Uh, mm -hmm. They call themselves socialists, yet they hate nothing more than Marxism. So that doesn't make any goddamn sense. And if you ever see or hear any person in your life who says like, well, socialism's bad because the Nazis were socialist, punch yeah. them in the face because that just ain't so. <laughs> I don't, I don't, do not commit violence. But it, just, <laughs> it, 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 just, it just ain't, so, sticking feathers up your ass doesn't make you a chicken. Calling yourself a socialist doesn't make you a socialist. All right. They called themselves the socialist German work, the German socialist workers party. They called themselves that because they wanted to uh, attract people from the left. They also yeah. called themselves nationalists because they wanted to attract people from the right. They didn't want to make a decision. They never had an ethos. They never had a design for a government. Anything they did was because Hitler told them to do so. It was a personality cult. It was never a political movement. Wow. What does uh, that sound like? Yeah, yeah, that sounds so familiar. So if you, were, if you were to define Trumpism, I challenge you to do that because I don't think you can. There are certain things that like... You know, like the Supreme Court said about uh, pornography a long time ago, I know it when I see it. And that's yeah. like, that's like Trumpism. You can't say, well, they get their ideas from um, uh, this economist or this political theorist. You can't do that because yeah. that's not true. They don't it do changes based on what he says, too. It changes so. on his day-to-day -day feelings. Yeah. And that is exactly Hitler. So when H Hitler had a bunch of guys that hung around Thank him. God Hitler didn't have a Twitter, but... Well, it didn't, it didn't <laughs> right. yeah. it was still Hitler. Yeah, totally. He had the, you know, he had, he had obviously um, a magnetic personality. He was able to um, get on the radio. He did absurd things and um, revolutionary things that would yeah. guarantee him being on the front page of the paper, which is all he wanted. Uh, he'd say inflammatory things. So he he had other people who work for him say inflammatory things that would get him attention too. Uh, he knew how to play the press, which is precisely what Trump knows how to do. They'll play yeah. his game because it sells newspapers. And then they wonder why everybody believes what he says. Well, it's because you printed it. Yeah. The fact that Twitter and Facebook just Jeez, took Trump really. off and deplatformed him is bananas to me. In May, yeah. I think it was May or June. I want to say it was May of 2000 of this year. This past May, Trump said, quote, on Twitter, quote, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Yeah. Tell me how that's any less bad than what he has said lately and finally got deplatformed. He promised murder on Twitter. Yeah. And they did not take him off. So I don't. I, so that's another. I mean, I mean it's not that. I, I, all the social media platforms that have like banned him and all of that, I I have like I I feel like I I'm just not naive enough to think that that's actually because they care, you know? Like at this point, it, like they're covering their asses because people are getting charged. I think. I mean, yes, they absolutely should have taken him off, but but yeah, it's completely self interested. Trump being on Twitter is probably really good for Twitter, even though. Oh, it's been great. Yeah. 
Yeah. And like what we see in Weimar also that we also see here is a really anemic and weak response to uh, violent elements like Trump or like Hitler. So like we just talked about, they finally, they finally deplatformed him when they should have done a lot earlier. Um, in Germany, the Nazis were really well known for like wearing brown uniforms. They called them brown shirts. Uh, they look like, uh, you know, you've seen the pictures of brown shirts, right? Yeah. They're called the uh, the SA. Was their abbreviated name? And they like drove in the back of pickup trucks waving flags. That sound familiar? Uh, so you can like do a quick. Ooh, I see an Instagram post in our future. Find some pictures. If you check my Facebook or Instagram, I'm sure you'll find one. But like, there's a, there's a picture that I printed of um, a truck in Bellingham, which is where I live, and it's a you know, big ass blue Ford pickup with a bunch of guys in the back flying gigantic Trump flags. And I transposed it right next to a black and white picture in Berlin of a bunch of brown shirts in the back of a truck waving, you know, swastika flags. Uh, It's precisely the same movement. It's really, really, really distressing the similarities. But the government always, always, always will be really slap on the wrist gentle with elements from the extreme right and they will give the noose to elements from the extreme left. 100% of the time, every single time. Capitalist governments will do this. So uh, there was something, I just put this on, um, maybe I can give you, I'll, I'll, I'll go look it up uh, and I can send it to you, but um, I did the numbers recently. There was something like uh, in the thousands, uh, death penalties issued from 1903 to 1933. Wow. Uh, so Germany was wow. executing people. Um, but if you look at the period of political unrest from 1919 to 1933, and I'll come back to that number a lot, 1933, things change. But in that period of political unrest in, in the Weimar Republic, uh, the vast majority of political assassinations that are punished by the death penalty are issued to communists or socialists. Nazis and the national and the and the nationalists, uh, they were uh, given slap on the wrists or prison sentences rather than going to the gallows. I'm sorry, not the gallows, the guillotine, which was the choice mode yeah. of death for the state in Germany at the time. So communists are killed by the state for political crimes, and the radical right is, is not. And the reason for that is. Every time the government gets in a little bit of economic trouble or political trouble or things like that, they always ask the right to bail them out. The Nazis or the nationalists, they always make a deal. The Bruning government did that. The von Papen government did that. They ask the Nazis like, hey, uh, hey, we got some disorder in the streets. Why don't you help uh, help the police clear the streets? And then we'll make like a little deal and we won't send your guys to jail for a couple years. And it's always, always, always what happens because there's such a palpable fear of socialism and communism uh, because of what happened in 1919 after the war when Munich became a socialist rebel state. Germany fears that so badly that they're willing to make deals with the Nazis. Now, what that does is it gets more and more Nazis into the elected government little by little. They're a mm-hmm. like tiny minority of the party. I'm sorry, of the of the Reichstag, which is like our Congress. They're a tiny mm-hmm. slim majority always. But every year they get a couple more, which is what's going on in our Congress right now. 
So we just elected four QAnon uh, adherents to the House of Representatives Oof. in this last cycle. So they're just going to get more and more and more as we refuse to punish them. Yeah. As long as the government, as long as we as a nation refuse to punish uh, Trumpism for their crimes, they will continue to acquire power. They will continue to take over Congress until we get to 1933, which is when Hitler is declared chancellor and the Nazis win a majority party. Do you know what happened to let them do that? There's one singular event. I, I'm i going to recognize it when you say it because I just was listening to was a podcast attack. about it. There was an attack on the Reichstag, the capital building of Germany. Oh, my God. I hate this. Uh, I wouldn't have had to a podcast an, to have guessed that. Yeah. And <laughs> arsonist set fire to the capital of Germany, which is called the Reichstag. And... Uh, they found the arsonist, quote unquote. Lo and behold, it was a communist. Oh, uh, yeah. It was found later after the war and after the fall of the Soviet Union uh, when people got to look at the KGB documents that had been hidden away for the entire existence of the Soviet Union that the Soviets believed that it was actually the Nazis who set fire to their own Reichstag and then blamed it on a mentally disabled communist. Damn. Wow. So does that sound familiar? We're going to attack our own capital Oof. and then we're going to blame it on the left. Yeah. And then we'll use power of the entire government. No, thanks. So that's where like historians yeah, and I are just gets really like, scary. we're just having like minor heart attacks in the historian circles because it's just like, it's, we don't, we're not very good at, I guess, talking to people. We don't have very big platforms, but, uh, Boy, there's a lot of us who are just terrified. I happen to be a socialist, and yeah. the uh, the tweet that the Republican National Convention tweeted over the summer, um, I don't know if you guys re remember this one, but there was a tweet that made it into the news because it was shockingly violent and vile. But it said, uh, we have to get together to stop Antifa, yada, 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 Antifa, the left, the radical left that's taking over this country. And the only picture in the tweet was a uh, like an upside down red triangle with a point down. No. Um, that is the symbol the Nazis used to put on the jackets of socialists and communists that they sent to the death camps. Now, for, for, for Jews, it was the Star of David. For homosexuals, it was the point up of a uh, pink triangle. And everybody had like a different symbol to identify their crimes against the state. For communists and socialists, it was a red triangle with the point down. And that was the picture that the Republican National Committee uh, put on their tweet. So that is a not too subtle threat that they are going to put me and my friends into a death camp when they take over. The first concentration camp that the Nazis ever built was for social Democrats and socialists in 1933 when they took power. Wow. I'm just kidding. I don't want to know about I don't want to know about history uh, anymore. This is very scary. <laughs> I'm just like, well, I want to know what I need to do to plan. <laughs> yeah. And so that's just like that's I, I think Canada is our plan if you know. <laughs> yeah, I can actually see it from my backyard. Hang on. So, I can see Canada from my backyard. Right there, Canada, <laughs> our backyard. So yeah, I'm, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we've got his family up in Newfoundland, so that's always our like yards, fail safe. Two hundred yards to the border, so I'm just like digging a tunnel in my basement. I just 
Griffin's been talking about, he's like, I need to start getting in shape for the apocalypse pretty soon. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, and so that's the challenge. So, so I actually do know why, but the, uh, you, you're talking about building that tunnel there and just everything we've been talking about so far makes me really want to watch The Great Escape. So I'm going to oh, watch that tonight. Such a great movie. <laughs> Did you ever watch the, uh, oh, what's, what's the stand-up comedian's name that we used to watch on Lady, Lady Washington all the time? Eddie Izzard. Eddie Izzard. Yeah, I thank you. I watched to Kill like two years ago again. And I actually saw Eddie Izzard. I saw him on his book tour. Yeah, he came to... Pittsburgh. Eddie Izzard is now going by a different pronoun now. I just read. I I could be. So they maybe is safe. I think they. I'm not sure. I'll have to look I mean, it up. I mean, like he's always been new. transgender. He used to say transvestite, and now he says transgender. Well, okay, so he they. I'll say they. Um, just so I don't misgender. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, so they used to say transvestite, but now they say transgender. Um, so I, it's completely plausible. Um. Yeah, uh, believe me is the name of the book, um, the autobiography, and it's it's really good. Uh, so, Eddie Izzard had a great bit on The Great Escape about how uh, you know they tried to sell the movie in America, so they had to put Americans in it, like uh, you know Steve McQueen yeah. and like, you know James Garner, who and, unaccountably you know, lives. <laughs> yeah, who just survived while the British officers get a bullet in the head. Like you know, wait a minute. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah, he like crashed into a bunch of barbed wire and stuff. Yeah, no, it, I, I, yeah, I, I love his like uh, his impression of Americans in that. That's great. Um, I, I wonder, I, I might see like how, how long of a clip I can take without having to like pay for it and get in legal trouble. And maybe I might tack that on the end. Uh, they, uh, she's going by either he or she, depending on what mode they're in. So since we're not in contact with them right now, I think either he or she is okay. According to Google. Roger that. Cool fluid all right um yeah so that's so that's like so it, it it all comes crashing down in 33 when the germans take the reichstag hitler becomes chancellor and then that's uh and then some emergency measures are um declared because uh they have to quell the communists because apparently the communists lit the reichstag on fire which is not he may have done it by himself but like the nazis painted it like orders are coming from moscow uh, the communists are all coming for us, which wasn't true. doesn't matter. Those emergency measures basically allow him to uh, adjourn the Reichstag forever and take sole power of Germany. And then 1939, the war begins with the invasion of Poland. Wow. So it's, it's a, a really, I, I was fascinated by Weimar Germany. And I decided to study it in college because I couldn't understand how a nation that produced some of the greatest writing art and culture of the era, a plucky little democracy, like smiling and laughingly threw it away in 10 years. I couldn't wrap my brain around it. I just couldn't get it. And I'm not sure that I do still. And yeah. all I can do is like see the writing on the wall and like they, it's not inexorable. It's not mm -hmm. an, like, it's not unstoppable. You can turn it around, but I just yeah, don't. Just because we keep repeating history doesn't make it inevitable. Not at all. And, I, <laughs> yeah. and, and what needs to happen for, in my opinion, and this is like the opinion part of this, it, 
what you need to turn this around is you need an end to austerity. So you need to make people not fearing, like not afraid of where their next meal is coming from or where they're going to have a job or whether or not they can pay the rent this month. You have to end that fear and people start reaching, stop reaching out to crazy things for help. They just need help. You just the government's responsibility is to provide the health and happiness and freedom of American citizens. That is the purpose of the government as per our declaration. Like that is the only purpose that government serves. So if they cannot do that, or if you have members of Congress and the Senate who are saying that truth is not truth, uh, then those people have to go. The good news is those people can go because of section three of the 14th amendment. Uh, if we were to enforce, oh, section three of the 14th (laughs) is lovely. Uh, let me read the exact verbiage to you. All right. Section three, no person shall be a Senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office civil or military under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as member of Congress or of an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid and comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. Huh. What does that mean? Well, it's obviously convoluted like most writing of the 19th century, but what it says is anybody, it, this amendment came at the end of the civil war. Uh, so many people in the army, in the Congress, everywhere had uh, seceded from the union and had served the Confederacy and the government, which was almost entirely Republican because the Democrats were the party of the South. Mm-hmm. Then uh, the, party said we never want to see a confederate serve in congress ever goddamn again and so they passed section three of the 14th amendment which bars anybody who is in rebellion or sedition against the united states from ever serving as an officer as a member of congress as a member of the senate or as president Mm -hmm. wow yeah that's that's what we should do we should get rid of those people who objected to the vote yeah after that I don't know how words are funny and the way we were, the way we use words are Brendan Reed, Brendan Reed and I used to have this conversation. Oh, Uh, Oh, we need to have him on. Shout out to Brendan Reed. Hey, let me know when you have him on because I would love to be on with him (laughs) because like he and I worked very well together on Brendan Reed is a wonderful human. You should follow him on all of his platforms because he's lovely and he has a healing presence and um, he uses and kindness and he is a renaissance man like so, we're talking about a guy who majored in philosophy guys, age combat like he, <laughs> he also and and this is this is huge for me he also is one of the only people on that i've worked with on a boat who doesn't bug me in the morning and can be like in the same room with me and talking to me when I'm tired and I'm still fine. <laughs> and, uh, and I hope, I hope like, oh, I'm not people. Oh, sorry. 
Sorry, go ahead. No, it's, it, it's just, I, I, I have been known to be not talkative or not like, you know, not wanting to have people around in the morning, but I always knew that Brendan wouldn't bug me. So I was okay with him being around. So I, anyway, I just wanted to throw that in. I, one time, another shipmate said, this is the greatest compliment I ever got in my life. He was like, you guys are like comfort people in the way that people have comfort food. And I think I don't hang out with Brendan that much. I think I've seen him physically like maybe two or three times in my whole life, but he feels like a comfort person to me. Like you got it spot on. We are like, that's a very healing presence. And that's very true. He is. He's amazing. He is and, because and- he can talk to anyone and be respectful and yes. understanding without abandoning his own principles, which yeah. is. There's three elements to him that I like use to define him every time I'm trying to explain him to somebody. He majored in philosophy and stage combat and was a bartender. I just so love this is a man, so much. This is a man who knows how to listen. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is a man who knows how to uh, uh, see risk, assess risk, avoid risk, and protect those around him. And this is a person who is uh, a, a moral and ethical giant. Uh, and that's, that's the guy we used to start our mornings with coffee together and just talk about politics and philosophy. The first time I ever spoke to him, I was interviewing him for, to be a mate on Carlin. And, um, and I saw that he had been on the pride of Baltimore and I saw that he had been on the Niagara, uh, to those of you who are from Niagara and, or pride or listening who are from those vessels, please do not take offense. Those boats, uh, yell a little bit more than I am personally willing to yell. What? And so, <laughs> okay, so this is interesting because that's not the culture on Niagara anymore. Um, oh, you okay. mean at like yell time, at each at other? Time. At that time. like uh, <laughs> they, yeah. Yes, at that time they definitely had that. But yeah. <laughs> so I, um, I was a little wary about hiring him because I was like, uh, so what's your like... Uh, I explained it to him basically the same way I said, I was like, they like do a lot of talking loud and yelling and such. And I feel like if I'm yelling, I've already made a mistake. Like I've already like a couple of steps previous have already messed something up. And now if I feel I need to yell, uh, that's not my favorite. And he was like, his answer to that was, well, I guess then we really have to talk about like uh, kind of our life philosophies. And I was like, Okay. And we spent okay. about three hours on the phone in an interview and I was like, you're hired. You're hired. Um, and he, yeah. He's, he's one of the best chief mates that ever worked for me or with me ever. He's wonderful. I miss him. He's in Australia. I hope he comes back someday. So, so I think, uh, I think we have to like moving forward, we have to find out how we want to wield the law, how we want to, the law, as we've seen, is there. There is law to prosecute um, for an insurrection. Uh, as a leftist, I feel a little bit uncomfortable about wielding the power of the state against people. I don't like the prison industrial complex. I don't want to see people go to jail. I don't want to see violence of any kind. Uh, but at the same time, we all agree to live under certain parameters in this country. It's a social contract. And if you break those, there should be consequences for those. And what I will say about the people who stormed the Capitol is every time you do something because you're convinced you feel that it's the right thing to do, you take on the responsibility for the consequences of that. Everything, this is a, this is a Brendan Reed quote. uh, Things cost things. Everything you do costs something. What are you willing to give up to do something that you feel uh, convicted to do? 
and they felt convicted to storm the Capitol, and that has cost. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I really feel like I do want to see the people who stormed the Capitol get prosecuted. Um, as you were talking about uh, the, the, the wish for Confederates to not serve in Congress, I actually was picturing the man with the Confederate flag walking through um, the Capitol, which is, you know, just a horrible mm-hmm. piece of imagery. Um, but uh, so I definitely I do want to see all those people prosecuted because of their actions. Um, I think that that is fair and reasonable. I also think that those people, I I, I don't know if you can like make people be a part of educational programs in prison, or if you can just sort of like uh, aggressively advertise it to them, but I feel like they should be, uh, they should be allowed to have some sort of education that might help their mindset and their worldview in prison. Um, my my father was a chemical dependency counselor and worked in prisons and uh, and he always believed in rehabilitation for for everyone and and I do too and obviously there are some there's some situations where there are kind of outliers but as far as all of the people who stormed the Capitol I don't think that they're the real villains I think that they are people who have been severely misled and need to be treated I mean. Like they need to be treated with compassion, but held responsible for what they have done. Uh, and I think that our, I, I think that our sort of, I, th- I think we have two minds on that subject right now. And on the left, at least it's the people saying like, prosecute them to every extent of the law, put them away forever. Or, you know, you have people who are not comfortable prosecuting or not comfortable uh prosecuting to the fullest extent of the law and and i think we just need we need to find a middle ground and and find uh, a fair way to treat these people that allows them to possibly uh possibly understand the way that they've been misled um but i i don't know how you go about that it's a very vague sort of thing that i'm thinking about but but i think that that would be good <laughs> Uh, and I think that the the real villains here uh, are the people who incited this violence, Trump and the Congress uh, members who supported him and the people who still uh, protested the vote afterwards, um, after this insurrection happened. So I think those people definitely knew what they were doing and are smart enough to understand the ways that they were misled. Or I say smart enough. They're, they're educated enough to understand the ways that they have misled people. Uh, and they continue to do it on purpose. I think those people need to be prosecuted. They need to be removed from office. Um, but I think we need to take a more like sort of humane strategy when dealing with the people who were lied to for years and years and, you know, were instructed to do these things because although they do have free will and they did it knowing that there might be consequences, they I would say that they probably were not in their right minds because they've been indoctrinated into Trumpism. But that, that's if my we just want to get into free uh, will thoughts at the end there. If we want to get into the all the problems and huh? the way that the American prison s- system fails its people, then that's a whole different podcast. That sounds like a good podcast. I mean, and we, we don't, we have the laws that... <laughs> Oh, nice. We've repealed the laws for um, uh, committing people against their will to mental institutions. 
those laws have yeah. been repealed um, because well, no, that's, that's not what they I was were saying. almost I was entirely saying bad. Right. However, <laughs> we do require people go to anger management counseling when they're convicted of a there violent crime. Like we do, that is a requirement. Uh, should there be a uh, educated, <laughs> if we can't even agree on what, like what, that, like global warming is a thing, how are we, how do That's we expect true. to like, um, how do we expect to, re-educate quote-unquote which is also a really uncomfortable term to use because that's what it concentration is. camps do is yeah, well, that's why it was kind of like, you know so like yeah yeah I, it's hard yeah. i don't i and i i wish that's the problem with me being a historian and not a politician i don't know the answer i, I really don't yeah. and i'm and i wish i was smarter and could figure out something equitable but like it's it, um all i see now is the the problems and i it's really hard for me to see a solution. I mean, the solution is accountability. The solution is education. The solution is uh, participation in politics. Um, and as much Mental as like you open this talking about your family. Oh, totally. And you open this yeah. talking about how your family didn't want to quote unquote talk about politics. But like if we continue to see politics as separated from our lives, that's bad. Yeah. I mean, politics are everything. Politics are how we get medication. Politics are how we have children in hospitals that provide for us. Like this is <laughs> participation in your, in the politics of your nation is, is what makes your lives better. And yeah, if whether or not we you can't talk about agree to participate. In them, right. Yeah, it's um, it's a hard question, and I I just I don't want to see people crushed by the power of the state, um, but I want to see accountability. And I uh, and the the first people to hold accountable are the 197 uh, representatives from the Republican Party who refused to certify the election results, and these seven senators. Yeah. Those are the people that got to go. They have to be removed from office and. Uh, Trump has to be barred from holding future office under the provisions of Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment. Yes, yes, he does. Mm -hmm. And I and I would also say that the people who are against impeachment because they feel like it's a waste of time, I think, don't understand. <laughs> I, 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 you have to take some sort of measure to punish someone, or else. I mean, his first impeachment didn't stick, so. The answer isn't to be soft and just let him, you know, let him leave office without any other um, punishments. So, the yeah, I don't the know. Terms it that like, get yeah, used and thrown around. <laughs> Sorry, go on. So I was just yeah. saying it was very unsatisfying, kind of like trying to wrap up because there's no clear answer. <laughs> yeah, the, um, the the thing that. The statement that gets thrown around a lot is, uh, oh, you know, in order to begin the healing process and be less divisive, we have to just move on in unity from here. And I'm like, well, that sacrifices accountability. That yeah. accountability is much. That's more not how healing works either. Nice yeah, there has to be there has to be accountability. There has to be an acceptance of blame. There has to be a, a request for forgiveness, and then like the. Man, the 10 steps would be great for, for this. You know what I mean? Like, uh, um, 
it's that's what that's what's needed right now and that's not for instance uh this is another weimar germany thing hitler um had a failed revolution called the beer hall putsch um a putsch is like a coup and it was just like a bunch of drunk guys in street fighters and they like tried to take over the government it was more pathetic than the takeover of the capital was yeah. uh, more ridiculous and it was a show it was a show a political show and it clearly failed, but that wasn't the point. The point was to get in the newspaper. Okay, then they refused to give him a stiff sentence. They put him in prison, quote unquote, where he had an open cell uh, where he was allowed to come and go as he pleased. And he wrote his autobiography, Mein Kampf, while in prison for the Beer Hall Putsch. Um, Mein Kampf was a literal blueprint for what he would do when he would achieve power a few years later. Uh, no one can ever say, no German can ever say, well, we just didn't really know what he was like. No, he wrote a book that you were forced to read where he told you he was going to kill all Jews, and then he did. He may be the only politician in history who did exactly what he said he was going to do. So <laughs> yeah, uh, we gave, you know, Germany gave him a slap is. on the wrist. Yeah. Yeah. So if we don't hold people accountable like that, they will continue to get light sentences and then uh, nothing changes. In fact, it just emboldens them. Like I said, we've got, you know, what, four QAnon conspiracy theorists that have been elected to Congress now. So they're, they're winning slowly. Um, and we just have to stop that now. Yeah. Wow. Oh, hope. Just for anybody who wants to know the way you apologize. Yes. The way you properly apologize is you sit down. The person says, you say, I'm here to like hear what's going on. And they tell you what you did wrong and how they felt about it. And it's not your turn yet. You have to almost like when you're giving commands on the boat, you have to repeat back what they said in your own words so that you, they know that, you know, you're acknowledging what you did. And then the healing can start. So it's not just like you have to say, I'm sorry. There has to be like acknowledgement, acknowledgement on each side before you can't, there's no moving on without addressing something. <laughs> if you truly, truly want to move on from something. Yeah. Accountability. All. I have to say about healing. Yeah. 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 You, I think accountability is important in healing. I just thought it was so funny the way that you kind of like threw your hands up in the air and <laughs> that's not how healing works because it isn't. I yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I healing works. agree yeah. that the country should be able to heal, but I think the way people, some people, are trying to go about it is not uh, is not real healing. It's performative uh, shows of mm -hmm. patriotism and whatever else. The government is at the point in their abusive boyfriend cycle after they've like knocked you down and you kicked them out of the house where they're crying at your front door, knocking and saying. I don't understand why you're being such a bitch about this. That's where we're at. That was a good one. <laughs> that is where we're at. <laughs> oh, okay, well. Gem from the internet. I think that we're kind of about wrapped up because now we're just talking about how we feel. Uh, but but while, while we're here at the end and, uh, and we still have some time here, uh, we should see if there's anything we want to... Oh, any anything we want to plug anything we want to bring people's attention to. So let's have Ryan go first. Is there anything you want to 
like, I don't know, books for people to read? Or is there like some person on Instagram who's who everyone should follow or whatever? <laughs> it's kind of the place for that stuff. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't do Instagram, maybe, or I'm sorry, I don't do Twitter, but maybe I should now that things are, maybe that's what gets people to read a little bit history. Um, I would say there are a couple of great, um, uh, so, I highly recommend people get their news from as many sources as possible. Ones that you probably ideologically disagree with as well as agree with. So I'd get, you know, like a, a, like a centrist new, I, I think basically the most centrist news source in the country is USA Today. That is about the most centrist newspaper there is. Um, also, I highly recommend Yahoo News as a really centrist source of news. Um, so you should do really? that, but you should also read people on the fringes. I read Fox News because I want to know what they're saying, but I also read Jacobin Magazine, uh, which is probably my my favorite publication. So I I recommend those too. You can find them online. Um, I'd also, uh, yeah, I think podcasts that deal with history are great. Um, if you want to like listen to a really fun. Uh, podcast on the left, which is like kind of my favorite podcast I listen to. Uh, the Trillbilly Workers Party, boys out of Eastern Kentucky. Um, and they do a really great podcast, um, especially from a part of America that the the Democrats have really forgotten about was a um, union stronghold in coal country. And we've kind of forgotten about them. And so they're kind of trying to remind us, uh, hey, like there's some leftists out here in coal country, uh, like there always have been for a hundred years. So you know, we haven't gone anywhere. Um, but yeah, so, uh, and then books, uh, I would highly recommend, um, if you're interested in 14th, well, 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, Eric Foner wrote a book called Second Founding, and I highly recommend that. He's pretty readable. Um, and uh, if you're interested in what those laws have to give us today, that is a really fantastic book. So I recommend that. Cool. Hope, do you have anything you want to plug? My, my shout out is just for Brendan Reed again. <laughs> yes. Just talking about him, I was like, <laughs> damn, what a good guy. <laughs> I've missed that dude. Um, I hope he listens to this podcast out in Australia with Charlotte. I miss that guy. I love having him around. He's invited to our wedding. I don't yeah. know if he'll make it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Brendan Reed. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Brendan Reed. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's, it's funny. I, I maybe, uh, we'll, we'll find out if he listens to the podcast when he's like, okay, so what am I going to talk about? No. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, shout yeah. out to Brendan Reed. Um, as yeah, always, shout out, guys, you what, can talk a little bit about, just about anything. And that's really what this podcast is about, like trying to put things in a nutshell to give mm -hmm. people more understanding and context. So, yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll think about when we want that to happen and I'm, we'll have you on again as, as long as you're willing to, cause it's been a fun time both times. And as always, uh, everyone <laughs> always. should get, get stickers and stuff from uh, Dicks for Good because it's a uh, Hope's Easter and one of our other, uh, guest who has been on the podcast and all the proceeds yeah. go to charity. And I think that's all I got. Yeah. So that's all I all got. Right, so now we'll do our little sign off. 
So, Ryan, I don't know if you thought of anything to say for your sign off, but uh, I'm Rosie. Oh, no, and I forgot. <laughs> uh, well, I'm hope hoping now that years. you know better, be better. Yes. Um, and that's right. Let me think. Uh, I'm Captain Ryan and uh, solidarity forever. <laughs>